And good evening and welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. It is September the 19th, 2018. We're on a few minutes early tonight because we are bringing you a double feature. We're going to be talking about Hurricane Florence, the ongoing recovery, and what remains a very life-threatening flooding situation right now across the Carolinas. You can see scrolling on your screen right now the latest from the National Weather Service. This is for all corners of the Carolinas. We have uh, the flood bulletins there because we have numerous rivers uh, that are continuing to flood and uh, impact communities, interstates, highways, and more. So we will have those scrolling on the side of your screen. Uh, we're going to start the first half of the show tonight talking about Hurricane Florence. And we have on uh, David Centendry, reporter with uh, Fox 46 Carolina, uh, Fox 46 Charlotte. David, did you see what I just did? Oh, man. Okay. I caught myself. WJZY out of Charlotte. He was down there covering. We're hoping to get um, uh, Stuart Pittman on, uh, who is uh, with uh, WCNC and uh, was down there as well, too. We have our own Chris Jackson, who's back, uh, who is down there storm chasing. So we're going to be swapping stories. And then at the bottom of the hour, we have our scheduled conversation about storm anxiety, which uh, comes at a perfect time because it is something I think we all experienced in some form or fashion over the course of the last uh, two weeks or so. What I want to go ahead and put up on the screen right now for everybody. This is weather.gov. You've seen it plenty of times before, but take a look there in the Carolinas, all of those green, all those counties in green. Those are the active flood warnings. We were scrolling at the bottom of your screen right now. If I zoom in towards the Wilmington office, you can see just how many counties right now are impacted. And this is very crucial because so many people I think are coming away right now with this impression that the hurricane is gone. We're moving on with life, but we have all of this rain that was dumped. And we can just look right here, the PD River. Uh, and, and, and it's not done. The situation is not over yet because all of that rain that fell along the coast, along the central part of the region, all the way up into the foothills needs to work its way out now. So you can see the blue line here, the observations over the course of the last few days of those floodwaters. And then that purple line is the projection on where things are going to go. So another example for you, we were looking at some of these earlier. There's so many of these. We couldn't name all the rivers right now if we wanted to. But Cape Fear in Elizabethtown, North Carolina, 70 feet right now. It's at 70 feet. Its flood stage is considered 42 feet. So it's nearly double what they consider flood stage. And it's going to remain above flood stage until at least Sunday. So we will continue to uh, scroll those warnings on the side of the screen for you so you can get the latest information. Uh, but let me do this just for time's sake. Let me bring in David Centendry into this conversation. He is fresh back from the shore. David, you were saying just yesterday you returned from your uh, several days of reporting there. Uh, let's let's just start with this flooding. How did you manage to get out? I know so many of those communities right now are essentially walled in by water. Yeah, we had to take a longer route to get home, actually. We had to travel, I, I was telling you guys earlier before we went live, just up towards the Raleigh area, and it took about six hours to get back through mostly back roads, at least for the first leg of the trek. Um, we did run into some areas that had flooding along the way though um not nothing on the roads but you know you'd pass a shopping center that was flooded out we passed passed a church parking lot that was flooded out so and that was going for even you know several hours outside of the coast area so um still still a lot of damage we saw and as you were mentioning it, it's likely going to get worse over time um but yeah we had we doubled our time getting out um from what it normally would have taken uh, David, I know this was a situation that obviously you guys were following closely as, as we all were, you know, there were several days of notice on this storm and we can talk in a moment with some of our panel on how the forecast verified, but at what point did uh, news management come to you and say, you're going to the coast? 
We went on Monday afternoon of last week. So we were there for a total of nine days. And it was just, I got the call Monday morning, early afternoon, or you know, maybe around lunchtime. And it was, you know, boom, pretty quick. Um, I knew we were going to be sending people, but I did not know if we were going to be leaving Monday or Tuesday. Um, but yeah, the decision, I think, was made that morning. And we, you know, acted within a couple of hours. What did, what did you do? How did you decide? I'm very interested to know from a logistics standpoint, yeah. how did you decide where to go and when to be there? Um, well, that was kind of decided for us. So I can't, ex um, you know, we, Wrightsville was one area that we had, you know, I think talking to our meteorologists of what was we thought was going to get impacted very heavily. Um, so, yeah, Wrightsville, we just went over there and we checked into a hotel for a few days so we could be as close to the ocean as possible before those evacuations took place. And then when it was time, we, you know, went over towards Wilmington, which was, uh, I think it's roughly 18 miles away, our hotel that we stayed at from shore. Um, so we were, we were a little bit away after that evacuation took place, but we were right on the front lines, first of all. And it seemed like everyone picked the hotel that we picked over in Wrightsville. Um, everyone from the Weather Channel was over there. Um, you were mentioning Stuart Pittman from WCNC. His crew was over there. Um, really, our hotel was just full with different uh, types of media folk covering the storm. What, what's it like covering the storm? Because it's impacting such a large area. You're in an area that's outside of your local audience. So from a storytelling perspective, yeah. how do you decide what to convey back to the folks in Charlotte? Well, what's good for us, uh, you know, for the storytellers, is... Um, you know, I, I'm not a meteorologist, so I can't give you all that scientific info, ABC, here's what's happening. You know, we let our meteorologists in-house do that. So really what we get to focus on is just the human stories, the people stories that are going on out there. Obviously, if there's new information coming from, say, a local police department, county officials, we want to get that and put it out there too. Um, but primarily, um, we were looking for human stories. Um, I think you're seeing some flooding right now in a neighborhood that I shot, for instance, you know, I got a Facebook tip from someone who lived out there. They asked us if we'd come out and just check out the scene, and we did it. This is what we saw. Their whole neighborhood was flooded in. Some people were having to leave on a boat. And what you're seeing right now was what it had been for, I believe, at the time, four days after the hurricane rolled in. So they were locked into their neighborhood for several days, um, been dealing with quite a mess. And, uh, you know, one thing that I think is um, – a good and bad thing. It's a bad thing for the people. Um, it, it's, you know, you hate to say it's good for storytellers, but, um, there's so much stuff happening over there. It, it's like, wherever you go, you're going to find a story. So, um, you know, there isn't really like an official game plan here. We're going to go here, here, and here and find, you know, this story, this story, that story. You kind of just roam in the stories. Unfortunately, they come to you just because there's so much damage across the board. Is this your first time covering a storm of this impact? Uh, this impact, yeah, for sure, for sure. And and personally, what do you think it's left you with? Um, I, I guess that's still to be determined. Um, it could have been much, much worse, as all of you know. Um, we were, you know, getting lowered to a Category 1 was a good thing, obviously, Um but yeah, we, we were expecting it to be so much worse. And uh, I, I don't know. I just think, you know, experience is everything. Being in the middle of it, I can't give you anything specific off the top of my head other than just, you know, getting thrown into the mix and 
having that experience for the next one. But uh, definitely shows you how to rationalize your um, your food source, your water source, and because I mean we were without power for the last five days. I think we were there. It went out early morning Friday, never returned for our entire stay. Um, it was interesting just seeing what people were having to do just to survive because you're talking about an entire city without, you know, without food. I mean, they, they have food, you know, they were people are eating chips, stuff like that. Um, food that you wouldn't really need to keep refrigerated for more than 24 hours. Um, but yeah, that, that shows a lot. And what's unfortunate obviously is I get to come home to my house here in Charlotte where everything's working fine. And here you got people who are still without power and people who are still, you know, roughing it out. Um, your heart goes out to them and it's just, it's an eye opener for how, how dangerous mother nature can be. Last question for me, David, and then I'm going to bring in some mm -hmm. of my uh, panelists here to ask some of their questions of their own. From a technical standpoint, I'm curious, how, oh, do yeah. you, how do you get on the air in the middle of a hurricane from hundreds of miles away from the station? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it could be tricky at times, you know, as you hear from working with us, James, the live view backpacks, which we call them, which um, for people who aren't in business, they're just, they tap into cell phone towers in the area. And that's what we would use to get our live shots up and also to feed um, video back. We would use that device. Um, so cell coverage, it, it wasn't great. Um, but there was there was cell phone coverage in the area. Um, as far as keeping everything charged, that was the biggest problem because you know no power in the house. We didn't have any sort of generator. We were usually having to rely on our car to charge things up. So we had two vehicles up there for four people, and you're just constantly um, you know plugging batteries into the back seat where there's a um, you know an outlet to charge your camera batteries, charge your computer up, charge your cell phones. And you're kind of living out of your car at that point, just because you're concentrating on that power source that's locked in. Hey, David, uh, what, what question I was wanting to ask, how, I know you mentioned just a little bit, you're not the meteorologist. How, how did you interact with, with uh, Tara and Nick and everyone back at the station? Did you guys do um, updates every day, maybe every couple yeah. of hours? I mean, how did that go? Yeah, good question. Um, usually, each of them on their shift would send out, they were really good at sending emails. Hey, here's what's happening. Here's what our breakdown is. Um, they would give just lengthy, you know, here's what we're at now. Here's what we're projecting, all these updates. And they would send one out usually when they came in for their shift and then maybe a handoff note as they were leaving that. And obviously just following their updates on Twitter and Facebook was huge as, as well as just different, um, you know, national weather service or different um, local weather services across the area. Um, Twitter was big just to see what's happening in the moment. But yeah, Tara, Nick, Brittany, they were all great at just shooting emails over to us whenever um, something was changing and just to, just to put in our ear what the current status was. Hey, Dave, I got a question for you. Um, just curious, I got really two questions, honestly. Yeah. You know, how, many how many people did you see that that didn't evacuate, you know, the Wilmington area that were local, you know, just, just out and about. Yeah. And, and also the second question would be, you know, what kind of impacts did you guys see personally as far as like, you know, a lot of high wind, storm yeah. surge, rain, you know, stuff of that nature. Totally. Um, well, I'll start off. Wrightsville was the first area we were at and that's where the mandatory evacuations took place, which, um, for those who don't know the mandatory evacuations, it seems like they're going to go in, you know, with, 
clubs and making everyone leave and you better listen to them. No mandatory evacuations. You can stay put there. You just can't, if you stay put and you need help, they can't guarantee you that you're going to get rescued and they're not really going to send any rescuers into an area that um, is still at a probability for something dangerous to happen. I know there were people who stayed in the Wrightsville area right there in the front of the storm. Um, don't I deny I got a chance to talk to any of them, any of them specifically. Actually, Wrightsville was still closed to the public uh, Tuesday um, yeah, Tuesday morning when we left. Um, but as far as Wilmington area, still, they were not under mandatory evac, but a lot of people chose to leave. Most people chose to leave. To put it into perspective, you know, you were seeing all the same faces throughout the um you know the four or five days after the hurricane came through just walking through downtown because there was nowhere else to go people weren't going to stay cooped in their house because they didn't have any power so you're seeing a bunch of people just kind of wandering the streets wondering you know hey who has a grill who's you know has some propane who's you know how are people getting by um so i did run into a bunch of people who were um i don't want to say toughing it out because i don't know if it's you know tough to you know, for whatever reason, they they stayed put in the storm. But um, I don't, I can't put a number on it. But certainly, a vast majority of people in the Wilmington area, at least in the downtown area, they evacuated, and uh, it was. I never saw more than a couple hundred people at one point in the downtown area, um, which I'm sure it's it it, it, it looked very ghost townish, as cliche as that sounds. There, it was it was pretty vacant. I totally understand. I was in Myrtle Beach and, uh, you know, especially North Myrtle Beach, the Highway 17 corridor, US 17, it, yeah. it was totally a ghost town as well. So I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. You know, yeah. just, just I curious, mean, that's all. Yeah, no, totally. And there were no, as far as businesses, um, you know, without power, these businesses couldn't operate. We saw one business open downtown pretty much for the first few days after the hurricane and they were open without any power they just had their doors open and they were they were a, a um kind of like a little convenience store they were selling potato chips and they were they were actually giving drinks away because they're like hey a lot of these coffees and um these juices are going to go bad so they were trying to give them away within the first 24 hours just because they knew you know why not people drink them instead of throw them out in our dumpster but they were the only store that was open for the most part a bar opened up a few days later and uh brought in some generators to grill food for everyone it was it was neat actually the bar was called the husk h-u-s-k and on sunday they brought in enough generators to get the panthers game on with local television and it seemed like all the locals who stayed through the hurricane just gathered into that bar there were maybe a hundred or so and they had a couple grills out back where they were doing burgers, wings, dogs, um, beans, all that stuff. And it was just $5 cash, all you can eat. If you didn't have the cash, I know they were letting people eat anyways. It was more of like, hey, help us out, help us help you. Um, but they really rallied together. And you could tell that um, it, it was just a nice come together moment, I'll say. Oh, that's awesome, man. I'm just curious. Yeah. You know that that, that was, I chased also like cells up in the Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach area, Cherry Grove. Yeah. But uh, you know that was my third hurricane. I did Matthew 2016, Irma last year, and then uh, of course Florence this year. If if you had to do it again, what's something you learned that you would probably take with you or do differently next time? Um, I'll I'll try to come up with two things because the first one is very 
dumb of me. I forgot to take my water pants. Like I have like a pair of, <laughs> I have like a pair of, you know, pants that I like, I have multiple snowboard pants that like are actually, a, I have a thin shell pair too. And I was going to take those for the water and I forgot them. So I was just in, je- I had my boots, you know, my high rain boots, but I was totally in jeans every day. And, um, that's the most uncomfortable thing, just being in wet jeans. Um, so that was a, that was a rookie mistake. I'll own up to it. Um, other than that, I would um, just the food thing is big. Just because, I mean, when you're working 14 hour days, like like you know, you need some sort of energy source. And uh, I, you know, I, I thought I was prepared enough, but but um, you know, I, I wasn't. But luckily, there were a lot of people who were helpful in the area. Like I mentioned, that bar they cooked us up burgers, wings. Even though we didn't have money, they hooked it up for us, and uh, you know, we made it through. And they're certainly people who are were suffering a lot more than we were um but that's just the one thing is stockpile as much food as you can because it it never hurts to leave with a little too much you know you can always just take it back with you yeah i couldn't agree more man so food, food and water and a beverage beverage water and then dry clothes you know especially if you're going oh yeah wear boots or pants or something like that uh, you know if you think you need three pairs of socks bring six pairs of socks exactly stuff, stuff like that Exactly. And luckily, we didn't run out of water. I'll say that we had running water the whole time we were there. Um, it was just cold water. You know, we didn't, it wasn't warm. But that's one thing we were very thankful for. We could at least take a shower every day. It was a cold shower. But man, I, um, that helped out a lot. Awesome. Man. I think uh, kick it back to James now. Yeah. Cool. Chris, thank you. And, and David, thanks to you as well. I know you are just back in the last 24 hours, uh, probably very exhausted. I see you are back at work. And I know we reached out to you last minute, so uh, we're very happy you uh, were ha- able to hop on uh, tonight. You're welcome yeah. to stick around for as much of the show as you'd like. What we're going to do next here is we're going to spend a few minutes. I'm going to ask our panel just to uh, very quickly, I think Shay's got some maybe some graphics he can help me with here, talking about storm verification and kind of what we thought was going to happen versus what the actual outcome was. And then for our audience yeah. at home, uh, Rick uh, Smith is coming up next uh, to talk about storm anxiety. But, David, before we let you go, um, any, any closing thoughts? I don't want to cut you short no you're fine um and i probably will have to go here man i got to get back to working on something but please send me the link so i can um watch it afterwards later on um but no um i i would just say you know it was a privilege to cover it um very much a privilege you hate to see it happen but um it is invigorating to do so and to be out in those elements and just to see all the stories that are unfolding in front of you um i did not take it for granted but at the same time um, you know, you wish it didn't happen like so many other news stories that we're forced to cover. Um, but I'd be, if I could go back again, I would do it and, um, you know, be a little more prepared next time. But I, I, I was very excited with how, um, it turned out. Um, I thought we did a good job out there and I will, I guess I'll just leave it with everyone in Wilmington who I ran into. They were just the kindest bunch of people I've run into in the longest time. I mean, no one turns you down for an interview. No one turns you down from food. It's, you know, what can we do to help? And, you know, we weren't really the ones needing help. You know, we were there to document everything that was going on and try to help out other people. Um, But yeah, it was just a tight knit community and leaving there after nine days, you kind of felt like you were one of them. And it was actually, you know, it's a little, a little, a little sad to leave it behind, but um, hopefully I can get back there soon. Well, we'll just echo what you said. Absolutely. You know, we wish these things didn't happen, but uh, I think it was Scotty Powell who said on our show last week that they are very unfortunate situations, but they tend to bring out the best in people. 
Yeah, totally. 100%, James. Thank you, David. I appreciate your time. Uh, I'll let the viewers Thanks. know uh, we're going to try to get Stuart Pittman from WCNC on in a future week. He's having some technical difficulties. Um, awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shay, I know we had talked, and I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here in the last about two minutes or so before we go over to our storm anxiety conversation, but uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about storm verification, and I think you said you had an animation or graphic that kind of showed the forecast cone from the National Hurricane Center and how it evolved over the days to kind of essentially show that although there was some uncertainty with the exact track and the in intensity of the storm, the location of where this storm made landfall was not that far off from where that forecast track had it. No, that's right, James. Um, yeah, let me pull this up. I've got the rain verification. I, I didn't, wasn't sure you were going to ask for the track. That's okay. I'll, I'll pull up the track can, while you do rain. Go right ahead. I got it. Okay, good deal. Um, yeah, th th put that on my Facebook page, and I can scroll down. If, if we can, we can bring it up in a little bit. Uh, but one thing I did want to show was the uh, rainfall verification from the Weather Prediction Center. And uh, I'm going to put this up on the screen. Now, this was forecast as of Thursday, September the 13th. This was the day before... Um, estimated landfall uh, at about 7.15 a.m. So the WPC, once the track sort of got zeroed in on the North Carolina coast, we had a pretty good idea that this was going to be going further west than north. The WPC made their adjustments immediately and covered a five-day stretch, which you can see here in the graphic. And uh, it shows, let me see if I can get rid of some of that verbiage at the bottom. Uh, it shows just how close it was in the verification. You can even see it spreading up into Virginia into the uh, Midlands and the, the foothills up into the mountains. And uh, they did a really, really good job. I mean, very accurate numbers there for a five-day stretch. So the quantitative precipitation forecast was almost dead on for five days, uh, plus or minus a few areas. That was due to some of the banding that the larger swath of the heavy rains had to be a little bit bigger just because of uh, the uncertainty and where those stronger bands would persist. Uh, but you can see the, the swath of rainfall that verified pretty much all the way into upstate South Carolina. It may have come up just short of getting over into the Georgia border for some of the higher amounts. But for the most part, for the, for the higher areas affected across the Midlands and uh, upstate, it did a really good job. So uh, hats off to WPC. The NHC also for getting their track guidance pretty much dead on within two miles of center track. Uh, we never looked down the center of the track, but uh, we definitely give them a hats off for their their verification in their six-day outrun. Uh, here, what we're looking at is, um, this is the ArcGIS SCDNR map of what's going on right now with the flooding. And we can see these blues and these, these darker colors represent where the flooding is significant. We're talking plus or greater than 15 feet. And uh, this is the PD base, and this is the greater PD up here that stretches all the way up um, through, all the way to the North Carolina border. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing runoff in this watershed effect of all this water coming from Mid-state North Carolina, mid-state South Carolina, and even up into the mountains of North Carolina come down these rivers and they're swelling up and they're starting to flood. So this was expected to happen two to three days out, if not maybe even a little bit longer uh, to see uh, the effects from this down slope down to the coastal plain. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So basically all of these little roads here with the uh, orange and the black line signify road closures. And you can see how many there are. There's a ton of them. There's a lot of roads that are flooded out. I-40, it's flooded out in sections completely. It looks like the Intracoastal Waterway. Uh, sections of I-95 are closed down. Uh, we'll get into uh, North Carolina, DMV. This is uh, SCDO, I'm sorry, NCDOT. You can see the red line here, red and white checkerboard line. This signifies all of sections of I-95 between Lumberton and Fayetteville are shut down all the way through Dunn to I-40. 
Even portions of I-40 coming out of Wilmington are shut down all the way to Wallace. In between 76 and 40, 140, I wouldn't even bother. Uh, a lot of these roads, even portions of 17 going up through 58 to 70, I believe David earlier said he went that route and it took him about six hours to get to Raleigh. Uh, so there are a few roads to get around, but I'll tell you what, the major interstates and the major portions where the commerce would be greater are shut down. So this is this is having economic impacts to our area as well. And, uh, you know, th this is a, it's a tough situation. This isn't going to be going away in a few days. You know, some of these rivers, the, the PD River, uh, let me go back to the map here. Um, the greater PD, the little PD, and um, the Waccamaw Rivers, and I'll go back to this map. These areas are going to be flooding out, so a lot of these roads are going to be impassable. And this is going to continue to be a problem for weeks. Uh, I don't believe some of these rivers, even the Waccamaw down here near Conway, is starting to swell up. It's not supposed to, to crest until and for a few more days. And so it's already flooding up into people's homes at this point. It's over the observation tower points. It's uh, it's breaking. It's going to be breaking records. These are going to be record-breaking floods, folks. So very serious stuff going on. If you're in, in this area, uh, we can see the, the flooding amounts coming down the PD, Waccamaw Basin, all the way down into Winyaw Bay. So this discharge into the ocean through Winyaw Bay is going to be immense. So if you live in the Georgetown area, be aware that there's going to be some major flooding along these riverbanks. Um, and so it's just going to be an immense amount of water flooding out to the ocean. And that's what's going on right now. So uh, not, not a good situation for most of these folks. And this would be something that they're going to be dealing with for months. If not, uh, I think Matthew, some folks are still recovering from Matthew. And that was in 2016. So here we are. You know, once again, yeah. this, this it's flooded over like a soup bowl right now. Yeah, certainly a lot of folks having flashbacks, and we're going to be talking here in a moment about how to manage that storm anxiety and uh, people are experiencing now, people were experiencing the past two and a half weeks. I appreciate you walking us through that, Shay. And you're right, this is a, a devastating flood event that is going to be lasting for several more days, and I was spending today trying to think of a way, an analogy to explain it, and I don't know if this is a, a, a good way to explain it or too graphic of a way to explain it, but it's essentially a digestive track. You know, we, we took in all of that rain, and now we has, has to work its way on through the system to the ocean, and that's what's happening now. We're gonna we're gonna see that in parts where these rivers are still swelling as the water makes its way downstream and ultimately out into the system. Uh, stay with the Carolina Weather Group for more on the Hurricane Florence uh, cleanup and recovery. We will continue to scroll the flood warnings on the side of your screen. But for more of tonight's program, let's go down to Charleston, South Carolina. That's where Jared Smith is. Jared. James, thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure to welcome in uh, Rick Smith, Warning Coordination Meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Norman, Oklahoma. I'm sure they deal with a lot of uh, they deal with a lot of uh, anxious people uh, with uh, tornado anxiety, and I'm sure this is uh, something that we're all kind of living through right now uh, over here uh, in the Low Country. I know it was a very anxious couple of weeks down here, and so really happy to have you on, Rick. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Always appreciate it. I. I've told many people over the past week that I, I, I don't want to deal with any bad weather, but if I had to choose between hurricanes and tornadoes, I think I would pick tornadoes just because there is that prolonged period of anxiety and watching and waiting and uncertainty. So tornadoes yeah. over with pretty, pretty quickly for the most part, but I don't want either one of them, but uh, I, I, admire all the work that you guys have done. You did an uh, outstanding job last week, keeping people informed. I know people appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you very much, Rick. So yeah, let's, um, you, you know, let, let's just get into it a little bit. I, you suffered from storm anxiety as a child. I, I can actually relate to, I can relate to that. I think it, I think you'd be surprised how many meteorologists 
and start you know, get into it because they con you know, because they wanted to conquer that. Tell me about that journey a little bit. Oh yeah, I I think there's a large number of meteorologists. Yeah, I was uh, irrationally terrified of storms as a kid, while at the same time being completely fascinated by them. Uh, I freaked out about storms at night, and this lasted all the way up until it was embarrassingly old, you know, into my early teens, maybe where it was just really bad. Um, but during the daytime, I was I was at the library. I was looking at every book I could find. This was before, you know, you could just watch the Discovery Channel or something, see tornadoes every five minutes. They, this would, you know, I was obsessed with tornadoes. But if there was thunder at night or wind at night, it was a, it was a uh, really a traumatic experience. I never was in a bad storm. I was not in a tornado, so I don't know what triggered that exactly. But yeah, so it it was. It was a, a long, a long process. Uh, it's a lot of long nights, uh, scared of the storms. And at some point, a switch just flipped. And then it became the obsession and the fascination. The scientific part of it really took hold. And that, and that you know, it, the rest is history. Now, Rick, is the name, the proper name for this astrophobia? Because I see a lot of names. You have astrophobia, brontophobia, coronophobia, or I think it's tonitrophobia. So there's, yeah, there's there, there may be even a couple more names for it as well. So I was wondering if you could clarify that the typical the actual name for storm anxiety, or if it's just related to what type of storm it is. Well, it, I don't, I haven't, I haven't seen those phobia names listed in any of the 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 few studies that are out there. They just refer to it as severe weather phobia. But yeah, there's a fear of thunder, a fear of lightning, a fear of heavy rain, a fear of wind, a fear of tornadoes, a fear. Every one of those has its own. Uh, a name there. The only one I recognize is Bronto because I think of uh, a Brontosaurus and the, the, the thunder. But anyway, um, so no, I, I really the references I see in the in the scientific literature just talk about it being severe weather phobia, which is kind of an all encompassing thing because it could be also I've talked to people that have phobias about ice storms after uh, people over in the Virginia, West Virginia area that have been through some of the debilitating ice storms that have happened. You know, once you go through that and and you, the forecast is for another potential ice storm, then, the, then that phobia kicks in. Because So it can be any kind of weather. It doesn't have to be just tornadoes or severe weather. And back to you, Jared. Oh, th yeah, thanks, Shay. So uh, managing this anxiety, how does that, how, how does that influence your day-to-day -day as a warning coordination meteorologist in a very severe weather-prone area? Well, it, 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 it affects our office. And, and as I kind of alluded to, it's not just our office. It's lots of weather service offices uh, on our weather service employee Facebook group did a poll. And there, there's people all over the country that suffer for this for a variety of reasons. The big impact on us is when we're leading up to severe weather, or it may just be thunder. We may just be thunderstorms in the forecast that people see on television or on our webpage. And that triggers a small number of people, but I think it's representative of a larger number of people that we don't hear from to start calling our office. We have a, a core group of callers and most offices have something like this where people call the office. And we have a couple of people that I feel so bad for, but uh, they literally call every 15 minutes. If it's the day of the severe weather event, are we going to have tornadoes? Uh, and, and now with social media, we have another avenue to get those, uh, questions and concerns from. So now Facebook Messenger has become a big thing on our Facebook, on the office Facebook page. And we have a whole different cast of regulars 
on there that are very concerned. Some of these people have had direct encounters or, or close encounters with tornadoes, either themselves or with a family member. Uh, some are, are new to the area and they don't understand, you know, what they don't understand the storms enough to know what to be worried about and what not to be worried about. So it's a variety of things, but th that's a big impact on the, our phones ring a lot building up to severe weather days, days, and especially the day before and the day of. And that's, that's a lot of effort. I mean, we're not going to just not answer the phone. We're not going to be rude to people, but there's only so much we can do. And that's why we're trying to, that's what started us trying to learn more about it. What is it? How many people have it? And is there anything at all the weather service can do or meteorologists in general can do to help these people? Rick, I have a question for you. Have you talked, um, I mean, I know this is sort of getting out of, out of the realm of meteorology, but has anyone spoken to the psychology field and said, you know, what, are there any kind of treatments, any sort of maybe PTSD type treatments that may be able to help these folks? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of a variety of PTSD treatments going on right now, a new one's coming out. Um, would, would anything that you've seen or heard of, have you talked to any psychologists or, or psychiatrists for that matter to, um, see if they have any ideas? We have, we've, we've worked, uh, with the, uh, some mental health professionals, mental health association of Oklahoma, and also with the, um, uh, the Oklahoma Medical Reserve Corps stress response team who have psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, um, and they deal with this. And actually, after the 2013 tornadoes, there was funding that these groups obtained to provide uh, rehabilitative services or counseling to the residents of the area. And I think some of that is still going on even today. So there, there, is, there are things to do. It's important to know that this can range all the way from just being a little bit uncomfortable when you know there's thunder in the forecast or there's a storm nearby to full-blown phobia. I mean, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's phobia. When you mentioned PTSD, that's a whole, that's kind of above even that. PTSD is usually triggered by exposure to some traumatic event, either directly or indirectly. Um, so there's a whole range of, of conditions or uh, levels to which the, the the fear or the concern or the anxiety about the weather can bother people. Uh, for most people, I mean, we want people to be scared of storms. You know, we, I, I, I've never really had a great desire to be in the middle of a hurricane, but it is kind of interesting. Uh, we, we want people to be scared enough of storms to know that they shouldn't be in a flood prone area when a hurricane's coming ashore, or they should be under shelter in shelter when a tornado is coming. That's healthy. And that's just natural. Our bodies have, we've adapted to respond to danger. Um, so we don't want, we're not trying to get people to not be afraid, but we want people to have a healthy, a healthy fear, more of a respect for the storms. And that's, you know, we've worked with some of the mental health professionals to try to come up with ways to maybe do that, to maybe offer some advice to people. And, and that's kind of a work in progress still. Ricky, um, thank you again for, for joining us. Um, with, with this study, I, I was reading your, your journal there. And uh, what are some of the symptoms that these folks face? Um, I know you guys kind of queried a, a lot of information, but what were some of the, the more known symptoms that a lot of these folks faced uh, with these different fears? Really, it, it, it uh, spans everything you can imagine from just being uneasy, nervous, to having gastrointestinal issues, stomach upset, headaches, inability to sleep. Um, in, some, in the more extreme cases, it's, it's so debilitating that people 
uh, can't go to work. They can't function. They are constantly uh, seeking weather information or flipping through the channels or calling our office or whatever they're doing. And it just gets to the point where they can't function. Um, and, but it, it really, it really is really individually dependent. It really depends on the person, how they, how they handle it. I know when I had it back as a kid, it would just be very nervous and very tense and, uh, kind of an upset stomach feeling if it was bad enough. And, uh, but it, it can just like any type of anxiety disorder, the symptoms can be, can vary from person to person very greatly. Hey Rick, I got one also. Uh, thanks for joining us also. Um, just kind of curious what your take is. If you, if you had to give someone advice, um, you know, before I doing this you know, weather and stuff like that, you know, I spent 15 years as a firefighter and uh, a swift water rescue technician actually taught swift water rescue. You know, one of the biggest phobias that uh, the general public has is, is drowning in, in water. And especially in hurricanes like this, where you have such widespread catastrophic flooding, you know, that in itself can get, you know, a lot of folks really on edge. And, uh, you know, if you had some advice to give them, what would it be? Well, it's, it's, it's really difficult because again, it is so, uh, such a personal individual thing. It depends on the level that they have their experience, how you would help someone or counsel someone or treat someone. And I just, I meant to say this up front. I have zero mental health experience. I'm not a trained professional. I, I took a psychology class in college, but that's it. So I'm not an expert in this, but we are kind of messengers. Um, depending on how bad it is, would, would, would kind of dictate what your, what the treatment might be. In general, we, we tell people, uh, we believe that there's studies out there um, say that it's better if you have more in weather information that makes you feel more in control. And so anxiety sufferers would be helped by getting more and more weather information. There's another study that says that makes it worse. So we don't, we don't know, but what we try to do just in a very general sense from our end is encourage people to empower themselves, encourage people to learn about the storms if they think that will help them. And a lot of times the fears and anxieties and phobias are based on myths or based on misunderstandings about the weather are based on a story that their grandmother told them about what happened to a relative in a tornado. That's just not probably really what happened. Or um, so we, we, what we've done on our webpage, and this is a work in progress still, is we're trying, we actually did a poll on our Facebook page to ask people, okay, if you're afraid of severe weather, if you're afraid of storms, what exactly is it that you're afraid of? And we got a variety of answers, but we kind of grouped those into categories. So while we can't treat people and when they call us on the phone, uh, we actually taught, we taught a class for our staff on how to talk to people on the phone about this. And we're not counselors. We're not going to you know, have them lie down on a couch and say, what is it about the modernness that, that bothers you the most? It's, we're just there to listen. We're there to be empathetic, sympathetic, but if we can address, if we can help people address the specific fears, you mentioned drowning, that's huge. One that's very common here is people are scared of being trapped in their storm shelters. Lots of people here have underground storm shelters. Even people that have shelters are terrified of the storms because they don't, they have claustrophobia and they don't want to be caught in that shelter. So what's practical advice we can give them to help them maybe attack that fear more, empower them? Well, register your shelter with your local community. They'll have a GPS location and they'll, they'll come look for you or, you know, things like that. So um, 
I, I know I didn't answer your question directly, but it's it's hard to really know. I mean, if I if 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 I could do if I was just my own person and not working for the government and talking to these people on the phone, and and some of my TV partners have actually probably done this, is just say you, um, you we, I, mean, I feel bad for them. We we need to tell them you seriously need to go get some help. I mean. And not in a demeaning way or bad way. I mean, there are some of these people that have it so bad where they can't function in life that they, they, nothing we can tell them is going to help them. They need to get some professional help, which may involve counseling. There, there are some aspects of treatment that involve um, kind of immersion or exposure, exposure therapy where people are exposed to the thing that they're afraid of and watching videos or hit through headphones, hearing sounds of storms, wind and thunder. There's a variety of ways that, that the treatment can be done, but it really all comes down to the individual. I uh, totally understand and couldn't agree more. And uh, uh, thanks for your time tonight also with us. But, uh, you know, one, one last thing, you know, that I can make it add, you know, to me, knowledge is power. And, uh, you know, like, like you when you were a child, I, I, I was scared of storms when I was a kid, too. And, and now I'm, I'm just fascinated by them. So, you know, I think that as the more you learn, you know, from official sources, learn good information. And, and through that, you're able to channel those fears and, and learn fact from fiction. Exactly. And, and that's that's kind of the approach we're taking from the weather side is, you know, like I said, we're not counselors or not professional mental health experts, but we can offer information, science, knowledge from the weather side to help empower people. Hey Rick, how you doing? Good to see you hey, again. Good to see you. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll kind of piggyback onto uh, Chris's comments and questions there. I I see some of the same things, you know, running a Facebook page and Twitter, where you know the storms are are coming, they're in the forecast, and you start hearing, you know, the feedback. Um, typically, like you said, from some of the the same people, the question is almost always, you know, the same. Uh, you know, is there a threat of tornadoes? Um, even though, you know, we're just predicting the, the garden variety type of thunderstorms. And so uh, it seems like, um, you know, typically providing that information, I know you say it can kind of go both ways. For some people, more information is, is harmful. And for others, they that that is kind of soothes them or makes them feel better. So usually, usually on, on this end anyway, it's an, just answering their questions, being honest with them. Um, and you know, if there is a threat, giving the, giving, using that opportunity to give them some idea of how to, how to take the precautions, reminding them of, of what to do. Um, so I, I'm sure that's, that's probably about the you know same way you, you guys handle it. Um, question, I guess, leading in from then is, is, as meteorology has start to, started to involve other disciplines like the social sciences, which are working really closely hand in hand now, do you see the future of this being um, more interaction with, you know, some of the, the mental health community and so forth and maybe being a little more proactive about helping these people when these kinds of situations come up or is it just continuing like we are? No, I, I hope so. I think so. I mean, we've already increased our interaction with the mental health community and not only in this, but also a, a kind of a, a new project that I'm involved in to talk about the meteorologist side of things, the personal side of things for us that deal with these events, kind of the, the PTSD or the, the critical incident stress kinds of things. That's a different show. But um, so, yeah, we do have a better relationship um, and we just hope that will continue. Um, I think this is something that, you know, this is something that every place has that there's a there's a, untold thousands of people now in the Houston area the key the Florida uh, 
the, the state of Florida and others from last year, certainly Puerto Rico, there's a whole new generation now of people that have been directly impacted by historic devastating storms who will never be the same for one reason uh, or another. So th it, this is not going away. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's something I think that we need to be at least be aware of some of the questions I get questions at conferences. It's like, well, we're, we're meteorologists. What do, what are we supposed to do about it? You know, we, are we supposed to not tell people their storms if they're scared to hear about it? And absolutely not. But I think there's some things at least being aware of it can help and being aware that this is a concern and that this could be very widespread. Um, when you answer that phone call, be sympathetic and, and understand that they're not just doing this out of boredom. They're doing this because they have serious issues and they want our help and anything we can do to help them, providing them information and really just being there to listen. And, and from a science side of things, is there things we can do in messaging to maybe not unnecessarily scare people? Absolutely. You know, and, and we're always very careful with that. Um, and but so there, there are some direct applications that we can do but it is going to take more interaction with mental health professionals. We last year, last spring, we generated, we put together some graphics to show on our, on our social media before severe weather events about storm anxiety and giving people resources to contact. And we, I produced the graphics and we ran that by a couple of different mental health professionals before we published them just to get their okay and say, is this the right word? Is this the right way to say this? You have to have those partnerships because none of us are experts in this. Rick, I have another question for you. Um, mm -hmm. For you guys, it, it's kind of been a, a quieter tornado season per se in Oklahoma. Uh, mm -hmm. Not as, as many, and we've not seen really as many major tornadoes like we've seen in 03 in, in places in times like that. Um, when you have a quiet season like this and you get back into severe weather and, and the tornado threat, appears in Oklahoma. Do you see maybe more people that are worried about this? Do you maybe see a few more that I've not seen comments from this person or that per person. Do you guys see like an uptick in this when it's kind of been a quiet season and then you finally do get those storms? It, it really depends. I mean, the, the hardcore regulars who we hear from all the time, they never stop. I mean, if there's thunder in the forecast in July, we're hearing from them. If, if they see a storm, we're hearing from them. So they don't, they don't stop. I think when we have a quiet season, and especially if we were to have an extended period of, of quiet, you know, tornado-wise or severe weather-wise, um, we might see some of that drop off. But I think it kicks right back in, you know, when it gets to be March and the kind of the start of our traditional peak of the tornado season. I hate that term. But, you know, when we get most of our tornadoes, typically, um, I think it kicks right back in. So that, that's a good question. And a lot of these questions that, that we're talking about this evening, we just don't know because we have not there has not been a a full-blown scientific study of this. There's, there's been a couple of studies, one back in 96, and one of those has been revisited recently. And there's just a couple of studies out there, but I would love to see that we really need to work and get some actual studies to understand how many people have this, what exactly is it that they're afraid of, and to help us learn more about, you know, how this is affecting people. Rick, I'm curious, um, you know, we just went through, you know, as, as you know, we just went through a, a, a scare down here in Charleston and, and for some a serious impact from Hurricane Florence. And um, on my accounts, on my social media, I was getting a lot of questions about uh, specific models and specific model runs and, and people watching these like a hawk and, and, and 
catastrophizing over to use a word that I learned recently. It's a very good word. Um, and over like what, what this means right up to, right up to landfall even. And, and I had people in my mentions, you know, the morning of landfall telling me that it was moving Southwest because the Euro said so. Um, do you get any people specifically quoting models or specific scenarios that they might see online and and being concerned about that? We do. It's not the, the, the regulars that we have are not so much. I, I, I haven't seen any of those that are really into it enough to really be talking about specific model runs or the her this or the European that or GFS, but um, they are definitely, a lot of them are definitely uh, consuming weather information from many different sources. They are not just watching one television station, which station has the highest risk category or has the highest mentioning the word tornado more than any other. They're very keyed into that. And some of them are also on social media enough where they're keyed into certain people that post very frequently, you know, as Marshall Shepard calls them, social meteorologists who aren't with an official agency, but they're still posting. They're very aware of that. So they're doing their own. A lot of the, a lot of the people that we interact with are doing their own ensemble, uh, storm anxiety forecasting, if you want to call it that, where they, and a lot of these people are real, you can tell that they're really, they're seeking information. And it's, and, and once they find something, they kind of identify the worst case scenario and some of them latch onto that. And they, that's what they believe is going to happen. So it's, yeah, it's similar to what you're talking about. I, I can, there's some definite parallels there. All right, and I've got uh, one more thing to add. I'm not sure if anyone else has any questions, but just something you, you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when you mentioned something about uh, suspicion that some meteorologists have have this fear as well and uh, or this phobia, and, and I could definitely attest to that. I think many of us do. In fact, I've thought about that, and I, and I would almost say, in my opinion, most meteorologists probably have this phobia because we're so concerned about the weather that we want to figure it out. We want to try to figure out why, what happens with it to, to make ourselves feel at more ease with what's going on in the whole process. And then it's good because now we understand it. We can convey the message to others that we feel may have the same, uh, you know, share the same feelings about it as well. So, uh, you know, I mean, even, even with Florence coming towards the coastline, I could feel my anxiety when I was watching the Euro runs and, and, you know, the GFS, the ensembles were pushing this thing towards our direction. And, and so your, your anxiety level goes up and you have to kind of learn how to temper that. And uh, before you're getting the word out, because you know that you're, you could be directly in the line of that and you may have to deal with it as well. But uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, coming from yourself as a scientist and learning how the processes work and working your way through those feelings about storms. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a thing with, with meteorologists and I've, you know, people in my office, people that have lived through big tornado outbreaks, the 2011 a southeastern tornado outbreak, the Joplin tornado, pick an event, uh, hurricanes, whatever, whatever the event is. Uh, the forecasters, whether you're at a weather service office, working for a private company, doing uh, weather on social media, working for a TV station, uh, we're people. And we are forecasting things that are horrible, that are that if our forecast is correct and if we do a good job, people are going to die, people's lives are going to be disrupted, and people's lives are going to be changed forever. So there's all kinds of things that go on. So there is stress. There is stress about you being personally and your family being personally impacted by the event. Uh, but there's also stress because of your responsibility. I mean, you, you've got a big, we all have a big responsibility to get information out to people to help them. And 
I don't care who you are. I mean, we all handle it differently, but that you can only take so much of that and you do that year after year. So the second, the next step of what we're looking at now, and we're really starting to get into this and we're going to have a, uh, session actually at AMS in Phoenix coming up about this is kind of looking more at the mental health of meteorologists and the the incidents of stress and things like that and helping people that are preparing and, and, and uh, disseminating weather information, doing the forecasts and warnings. We need help too. I can tell you I have issues. We had counselors come into our office after the May 2013 tornadoes to get us talking about this as an office and as coworkers, and it still affects me and it still affects a lot of people. There's still videos I can't watch. I mean, you can't do this and not have it affect you as a person. We're not robots. We're not, we are very, many of us are very geeky, introverted scientists staring at computer monitors all day, but we're also people. Uh, so maybe that's another topic we could come on again later and talk about, but that that's another thing that I think has been overlooked and that really we as people scientists are kind of, it's kind of squeamish to talk about your, you know, your feelings and your emotions and things like that, but it's important. And it, it's something I think the discussion has started and it's going to get just continue from there. All, All right. right. Does anybody else on? Yeah, does nope, anybody else in the panel have yeah, does anybody else in the panel have anything for uh for Rick? All right. I did uh, we got a great viewer comment that I wanted to share uh before we uh ask Rick where we can find him on social media. Um from Brandy who was uh writing in and saying and she's in the affected area right now. Uh she's uh, up towards uh, Marion and uh is dealing with the after effects of Florence right now and it's been a, she says it's been a difficult time the anxiety's real. She didn't lose her home. Friends did, though. When she leaves her home because she has to go to work, she has severe anxiety about the flooding getting worse, not being able to get home to her animals, things like that. So this is this is a real thing. I mean, this is the psychological impact of these storms is is quite significant. And and keeping in mind, again, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, Northeast South Carolina has taken three hard hits in four years from flooding, and um, it, it's it's definitely got to be wearing on everybody for sure. So. Um, Rick, thank you so much for coming on and, and joining us on a very important topic. This is uh, this has been really fantastic. Somebody myself who has suffered from storm anxiety and got into this because I was interested in orienting and learning more. Uh, definitely appreciate your perspective. Um, how can how can everybody out there in uh, Twitter world or Facebook world or anywhere world find you on social media? Well, thank you. It's great to talk to all of you, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. It's an important topic. Uh, lots of people can relate. Uh, I'm Twitter mostly uh, at WCM. Uh, I'm here. I've got a Facebook page. I uh, it's neglected, so I'm not. I'm hardly on there. Apologize for that. Uh, but I am on Twitter most of the. You can find me there. Instagram to mostly Twitter. So O U N W C. Yep. Yeah, we, we had a little uh, cut out there, but thank you for uh, repeating that in. So again, uh, Rick is at O-U-N-W-C-M on Twitter. So very good. Thank you so much, Rick. This was fantastic. Um, this is a really awesome discussion and looking forward to having you on again uh, at some point in the near future. It's always good to talk to you. Good to talk to you all. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, Peter is going to give us a little uh, recap of what we got coming up next. We have a pretty good schedule coming up, Peter. Yes, we do. We're booked all the way through October. So uh, next week, the 26th, we have North Carolina King Tide Project. And then after that, we got Damon Lane. We're going to be talking with the Mid-Atlantic Chaser Con. 
And then uh, Farmer's Almanac's coming up on the 17th. I know we're waiting for that one. So, uh, yeah, so that's what we have to look forward to the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, everybody, thank you all again for uh, joining us, Where whether you be joining us from Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. If you're listening to us on the podcast, uh, we're on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and wherever fine social media is sold because your data is being sold. No, just kidding. Anyway, um, so I hope everybody has a lovely evening. That's going to do it for this edition of the Carolina Weather Group. I'm Jared Smith for Scotty Powell, Peter Planamente. Eric Procius joining us uh, again uh, on a guest appearance. Good to see you, Eric. Um, Likewise. Yeah, thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, Chris Jackson and Shay Gibson. Have a wonderful evening, and we will, te- and we will see you all again next, sun- uh, next Wednesday night. Hopefully not next Sunday, because that would usually mean there's a storm coming. I guess I've not quite recovered yet. Uh, here on the Carolina Weather Group.